So, um, yeah, let them hear is our overarching theme for the year. So this morning, my heartfelt prayer is that you'll hear this message and it will actually change something on the inside. We've got to trust God to deal with our sin. Lots of things are part and parcel of the way we do life in the 21st century that are trying to medicate sin, trying to minimise it, even say, well, it, sin's actually a construct by you Christians and other religious people. Let's let people do what they want to do. And so we've got this moral relativism that's a big part of our, of our world. But I want to say to you that if we're going to let the Bible inform us about who we are and what we're about and why we even exist, then we've got to get a head around the fact that God's up to something with people all the time. And uh, this uh, message hopefully is going to unpack a little bit about what I think is a confusing issue. I don't know whether it's confusing for you if you've thought about it enough, but what's the deal with ripping the head off a dove, sprinkling the blood on an altar, and going from being unclean to clean? Anyone think that some of those stories are a little bizarre? Um, you know, you, you bring in two doves and rip one's head off and then you let the other one go after sprinkling oil and, and blood on it and that one can get out. And then there's the, the deal of the scapegoat. You bring two goats, one gets slaughtered and the priest puts his hands on the, the one that's alive and sends it out the door as the scapegoat, which is where the phraseology, we still use the term scapegoat, someone who's kind of got out of it. <clears throat> and so... As I looked at that and was contemplating it and looking at the, the Bible project um, study, reflection study for the week, I started just chewing over um, what is the deal and some of these things that I'm going to say this morning, I do stand correctable um, and I don't want to be stoned to death as a heretic, but I want to ask you this question to think about for yourself. Do you realise that in the Old Testament, the sacrificial blood was always an animal's blood? So the Bible nowhere alludes to the ancient pagan sacrificing of children and people. Human sacrifice is not part of anywhere is it in the, the, um, the narrative of the Bible except for one person. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God. But we'll get to him in a minute. And so I started thinking, why animals? What is it about animals? And I started thinking, you know what... They didn't sin. The animals didn't listen to God's instruction, don't eat the fruit from the tree, and then decide they would. People did, or well, a couple of people, but it's affected the rest of us. And so when God said in the garden, before they ate it, when you eat it, you'll die. What he was actually saying is, from there on in, human blood is going to be tainted with sin. So it's impure. Let's just say, well, I don't want to use the word impure. So our blood, all of our blood, is unacceptable on an altar because it's impure. God used the, uh, what would I call it, the, um, the analogy, but it was a reality, of animal blood that's not tainted by the sin that we created. They, they are a part of a broken, sinful world and things happen in the animal kingdom that are indescribable. But my point is, I think the blood of animals was a more suitable vehicle by which sacrifice could occur without it being tainted. None of the process in that Old Testament context was tainted by human blood because it's not up to, the sp not up to speed. It had to be perfect blood, which is where Jesus comes in. Does that make sense? 
And so I'd never thought that through, but it's animals that get, get, the, get clobbered for this. And so I started thinking about, well, people get a little bit twitchy about some of that reality. And then they get a bit twitchy about, well, why do we need to have sacrifice at all? Uh, what does God need to do something with my sin? I've heard people say, for example, I'm a good person. Wouldn't it? So if your God's that good and he's a loving father and I rock up to heaven on the day I die, the doors of heaven and knock on the door, surely a good God would let me in because I'm a good person. I don't do anything wrong. I haven't hurt anybody, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't ripped anybody off. I, to the best of my ability, I'm generous. I, I try to be a moral citizen. I try to teach my kids. I'm just a good person. Any heard that, that line? So our good God's going to be fair to everybody, right? Only problem is, it's not the way it is. Because God is not impure. He is good, and he is pure, and he's perfect, and we're none of those things. And so we can't inhabit the same space as a perfect, holy God, which is some of the reason why Leviticus is so laborious with all the detail. It's really easy to get bogged down. And can you imagine having to go through that rigmarole when you did something wrong or you just kind of sneezed and a bit of snot hit the ground and discharged from the body and you had to go and get a dove and take it to the priest and get it. All he did was blow my nose. It's like, what a rigmarole day in, day out. And I'm thinking, is God in his word wanting us to find a mechanism that is so darned near to being impossible to actually do that he's just a meanie? He's just kind of setting us up to fail. And I thought, well, that can't be. That's not, that's not the deal. And so it's kind of it's a back-to-front way of presenting it, but I think Leviticus and all of its really complex ritual and law about all this stuff, the detailed end of this, that, and the other, is actually meant to shine a light on God's incredible holiness. In other words, we've got no hope. Because Leviticus isn't the end of the story. God knows that. The end of the story is his son Jesus coming, who is perfect, who will solve the problem. What the Bible is uh, brutally and relentlessly, I think, trying to demonstrate through this book is that we are hopelessly outclassed by the purity of God. And I just want to give you a little practical example because it's, I don't know about you, but I definitely have had conversations with people who think they're good and so God's going to be generous to them. Let me just put up that first slide, slide please, Lockie. This is a, well, what is that? A gold nugget. It, I don't know how big it is in reality. It looks big on that screen. Imagine if you found one that actually big. Woo -wee. It's worth a lot of money, right? It's gold. Say gold. gold. How pure is it? JT, any idea? We've got no idea, right? It varies. It varies. But it's, just, it's not going to be pure gold, right? Not usually. Not usually. Okay. So... I did a bit of Google research because that's where you find out all information this, this day and age. So this information stands very correctable to anybody who knows anything about dealing with gold, okay? But a gold nugget is gold. So in this instance, that represents me, okay? So that represents you. I'm a gold nugget, you're a gold nugget. God made you, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're actually made of, you're a human being. You're not a dog or a chook or an ant or a snake. You're a human being represented by gold. But gold needs to be refined, and gold as it's used across the planet, and has been since eons ago, gold is always um, being refined by a process combining 
Two things, smelting and refining. So smelting gold is the ability to extract the gold from the ore it's combined with. In this case, this has actually probably got stuff in it because um, it's a gold nugget. But after smelting, generally speaking, gold is around about 90% pure. Say 90%. 90%. That's pretty good, right? But that's not acceptable for the gold market because it still contains other minerals like silver, copper, aluminium or iron and anything else that John Tomer tells us in there, if you ask him afterwards. Pretty right. Smelting gold is accomplished by using high pressure, heat, various chemicals to break down the ore and melt the gold to separate it from the impurities. Say separate. Separating impurities is a bit of an analogy, in my mind, to us recognising that we've got sin in our life. So we can see things. I don't know about you, but I've got areas of my life that I'm embarrassed about personally. I just go, you're a complete jerk in that area, Bruce. Have been since the get-go. You've been working on it, you're still a dropkick in that area of your life. Anyone got any of those issues in their life? They just trip over all again and again. Some of you are with my friends. Some of you are just absolutely perfect. You're so close to God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you should be up here preaching then. But anyway, well, I won't digress. So... So the gold has to be heated to an excess of 1,046 degrees Celsius. Well, that's very specific, isn't it? 1,046 degrees Celsius or 2,150 degrees Fahrenheit in order for it to melt and for some of this stuff to come out. Maybe the law in the Old Testament's that high pressure. Maybe the law has got a, a purpose in us actually realising there is a problem that we've, got, we've actually got impurities that do need to come out and those processes can be applied but even after they're applied what's the problem is that it's still not pure gold. So smelted gold is, um, let's just say, like our best effort to remove the things that we see in our life, say see, the things we see in our life that are toxic to us and to others. Smelted gold bars... So, smelted gold, bigger pardon, is poured into uh, uh, made into bars called doors, D-O-R-E, a door bar. Um, and after smelting, it needs to go to a refinery. So another level of pressure and chemical reaction needs to be applied to a gold nugget like that if you wanted to actually make that into pure gold or pure, uh, a more pure form of gold, you'd have to work on it. So let's put those bars up, just so we can see. That's that gold bar. They're probably actually... Uh, refined ones at 99.95%, but anyway, that's beside the point. It's all good. <clears throat> so smelted gold bars, or door bars, uh, smelting of those, uh, they're shipped to a refinery to finish taking the impurities out of the gold and raising the purity level from 90 to 99.5%. That is the acceptable level of purity for gold to be traded in the open market. Much like smelting, refineries uh, use pressure, heat chemicals along with electricity to separate the chemicals, the other minerals out. This is known as electrochemical refining, which is why smelting plants can't do it. Takes about 30 minutes for every ounce of gold to be refined to get it from 90 to 99.5% pure. So even after refining, gold is 99.5% pure. Let's just be brutal. Therefore, it is impure. See, th this is how we rationalise if we want to have an argument about sin and I'm a good person. What we don't get 
is that God is the only one who can deal with our sin because he's the only one who can see it all the time. He's got this perfection about him that means the point zero five, but if it was point zero 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 five percent of an impurity in my life, it sticks out like a sore toe to God. He's not got any problem identifying and seeing that I'm actually still going to be separated from him because I'm not pure. Okay, and so you'll find that word purity in the book of Leviticus. So it doesn't matter how much hard work we put in, we can performance ourselves through our life for all our life, just being um, like we can be conscious of the environment, we can watch our carbon footprint, we can love our neighbour, we can be generous, we can do everything we can to not disturb the world we live in and still end up at the end of the road having to acknowledge God can still see dirt in that part of your world, Bruce Williams. Oh, but I'm really nice. That's not the point. The point is, God wants me, who's not pure, to be with him who is pure. And the moment I step into his pure presence, I'm fried. No matter how little impurity is in my life, I'm not actually going to get into his presence with it still in me. And so God has always had a solution to that problem. Blood represents life. Animal sacrifice represents life being substituted. Is atoned for. If you looked up some of the information, atonement is um, covering, cover up. You kind of feel like, well, so blood's just sort of the cover up job. So God's happy with a cover up job. No, no, let's use the word atonement with a different sense of cover. If we went out for dinner and spent $1,000 and I got up from the table and said, don't worry about it, I'll cover it. Same meaning. I'll cover that. I'll cover your trip. I'll, co- I'll cover those expenses. I'll cover that problem. I'll cover this. It's not about concealing. It's about taking responsibility for it. I'll cover that. So the blood takes responsibility, in a sense, the sacrificed for my sin. Yeah. But the problem with an animal sacrifice is that it's animal's blood. And it's not fixed in my blood. It's not fixing, actually, it's not removing my sin. So I mentioned the scapegoat before. Once a year, a scapegoat was sent out of the camp with the sins of the people on it, out. Because animal sacrifice atoned for sin, but it didn't remove it. Say remove. Is this helping anybody? This is a basic gospel message that we sometimes don't talk about because it's a little gruesome and it's kind of sacrifice is not the most pleasant subject in the world but if we don't get this we'll never actually get what Jesus did for us and what Jesus did for us is miraculous he was born perfect sinless say sinless you've got to actually understand the sinlessness of Jesus for his death on the cross to do anything for you and me his sinless say perfect blood say perfect So he's got no impurity in his blood. And so when his human blood is poured out on the earth, in Palestine, in Israel, some of those molecules of blood could still be there to this day. We don't know. But that blood is perfect blood. And not only does it cover, atone for our sin, it is actually the blood, the only substance in the universe that can remove the stain of impurity from your soul. So when we ask you to receive Christ and believe in him, we're asking you to believe that his blood, he's actually, he's paid the price. We talk about that language, he's paid the price so that your 
the most smidgen, if you're the nicest person and you're convinced that your impurity level is super duper low, no matter how low you can make it, his blood's still got to get in there and take the last little skerrick out and there's nothing else that can. So when people want to talk to you about other religions and there's other ways to God, oh, you guys, Christians are too exclusive. It's not exclusive if you understand there's only one substance in the universe that can actually clean the crud out of a human heart and soul. It's the blood of Jesus. There's nothing else. You won't do it finding it in a religion. You name them off. I don't want to get upset with anybody online, but you can just think of them. Christianity is the go. Just looking at the camera. It's the go. Don't try something else. You can try everything else if you want to, but nothing else will take you to the end game, which is your impurities removed. Say removed. How good is that? So let me just get into the, uh, the Bible. There is a bit of biblical teaching here today. If the anointed priest sins, bring a guilt offering on, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Anyone here been to a slaughterhouse? Give me a little wave. It's a pretty messy place, right? It's just... Well, I've been to a few in my life. It's like... <laughs> it's like... Can you imagine? This was their slaughterhouse and their temple. Like they ate some of the stuff that they're slaughtering. It's kind of like the butchery as well. It's multi-purpose. But it's like, as John Tone was saying the other day, imagine you sprinkle a bit of blood on the, on the altar. And the altar's not very big. It's like it's at, um, five cubits, which is 7.5 feet by 7.5. That's not a very big thing, but they're sprinkling this blood. And it says, just sprinkle a little bit on there and then pour the rest out on the ground at the base of the altar. Can you imagine what that ground smelt like? Woo-wee. Ugh. And people want to complain about how loud the music is at church. It's like, imagine if you go, oh, I'm not too happy about the smell of the oil this morning. Oh, wee, what have they been doing there? Oh, killing animals. Yeah. So let me just wrap up a few thoughts. So blood represents life, the gift of God. Recall that the wages of sin is death. For the, so Romans 6.23 says that. So blood can be shed in substitution for us, animals, on an altar, something that is already holy, but only to cover over and cover the cost. I've already explained all that. Our sin, impurity, will always separate us from God. Sin doesn't just need to be atoned for, it needs to be removed. Once we have proximity with God through sacrifice, we'll have a clear sense of purpose, order, and honour in living amongst people. So all the ritual is pointing to the ultimate shedding of the blood of Jesus to atone for and remove our sin permanently. So I want to finish with this thought, which is that, repeat that again, only Jesus' blood can make us perfect or pure in God's sight. So my challenge to you is, have you actually reached out to Jesus and asked him for help about your purity? If you've been trying other things, I've got bad news for you. None of them work. I'm absolutely certain I can say that, stand up here and honestly say to you, nothing, say nothing. Nothing, nothing else will work. Not a thing. There's nothing else you can actually get into your world besides the blood of Jesus through faith in this day and age that'll solve the problem. So Hebrews 10 uh, explains all this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So as complicated as it was and as important as it was for the Israelites for uh, thousands of years, 
before Jesus came is a shadow of things to come. It's a shadow of, of the reality of who Jesus is. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeatedly, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So the, this is just clearly outlining this. Otherwise, would there not have stopped being offered? Verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, the animal blood covered sin, didn't take it away. Verse 14, day after day the priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. Repeating the point. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, this, this priest, that being Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool for by one sacrifice he has, been, he has made perfect forever. Say forever. So by one sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, the only person who could do it, he has made you and me perfect forever. That's got to be good news, amen? So only an encounter with Jesus, believing in him and confessing him, will render one 100% pure. Our gold can be made into jewellery. Our gold can be traded. You can have gold nuggets and gold bullion stashed at home. Just remember next time you get a hold of some gold, it's not pure. It's impure. And let it remind you that without Jesus, you and I are cooked. Why don't we stand to our feet? Won't be the bulls that are getting cooked, it'll be you. So I'm hoping that that analogy with the gold can help you to get over the language of sin and sinfulness because it might be helpful to think about it as pure purity and impurity and realising that there are some things that are bonded into that gold they're so chemically bonded to the gold it is literally impossible to get that stain out of it so when the Bible talks about and when Christians talk about the blood of Jesus washes me clean it is like this supernatural solvent for sin it can actually cause sin wherever it's embedded in your life or mine to be uprooted, destroyed, and removed. That's called freedom. That's called eternal life. That's called hallelujah. I just got saved. If you've never invited Jesus, and what I've said to you this morning, either listening here in the auditorium or listening online, has unlocked some of your thinking or hesitation about becoming a Christ follower. I'd love to pray with you to help you receive Jesus this morning. Because when you do, that incredible miracle of cleansing you from your sin and removing it will occur in a blink. It's just incredible what God's done for us. If that's you and you're here in the auditorium, I'd love you to slip your hand up and say, that's actually made more sense than I've ever actually thought I'd get to have my head around that. I do want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be clean like that. If you're watching online, and this message has helped you to just step that close, bit closer to God this morning. You want to receive Jesus. There's a link on our website that you can find. 
3ah.org.au forward slash online. And there's a little a blurb from Pastor Phil Pringle about um, what it means to become a Christ follower. And there's a prayer you can read out. I suggest read it out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. And if you pray that prayer and believe in your heart the words that you've said, please click on a link that says I prayed this prayer and let us know that you've become a Christ follower this morning because we'd love to follow you up and get you established on your journey of living in freedom. So, looking around. Any hands here this morning? So we'll make sure that we don't miss anyone. The Holy Spirit is a mysterious mover amongst people. Stirs up the hearts of men and women. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we just finished this morning. We're grateful that we don't live in that era where we're sacrificing animals day in, day out, following all that ritual. But, Lord, as we read that and other stuff in the Bible in the days ahead, pray that it would remind us just how awesome Jesus is, how broken we are without him, without your love in our life. So guide us and direct us. Help us, Lord, to have the words in our own mouths when our friends and family members, people that we're acquaintances with, even when they ask us questions about what we believe and why we believe it, I pray, Father, today we'd have an impartation to be able to articulate what our faith's about more clearly than we ever have before. In Jesus' wonderful name, 